The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Okay, Micah chapter 1, uh, verses 10 to 16. That's Micah chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. So I'm going to tell a story, but I want to make sure everybody understands there's no political agenda when I talk about this story. It's just a story that I read that I thought was really interesting, and I thought it was very, very fitting uh, for the message today, but I know that it can be seen as political. So don't, don't think that I'm taking a side or anything like that. I just want to talk about this because I thought this was really interesting. Uh, just listen to what she's saying, and it, you're going to see why it, uh, it applies when we look at the bigger picture. Uh, uh, the article goes like this. They say that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But for one doctor, the cost of lacking such prevention is much more costly. In fact, it's costing people their lives. Uh, Dr. Brittany Cobia is at Grandview Medical Center in Birmingham, Alabama, and she's been treating coronavirus patients, some who are vaccinated and some who aren't. The difference between those who make it and those who don't is as obvious as it is heartbreaking, she says. I'm admitting young, healthy people to the hospital with very serious COVID infections. One of the last things they do before they're incubated is they beg me for the vaccine. I hold out my hand, I hold their hand, and I tell them that I'm very sorry, but it's too late. I'm sorry, but it's too late. And it will be too late when we die and we are now face to face with the judgment of God, with Christ seated in his judgment seat about to pronounce a sentence, and this sentence is an eternal sentence. When judgment comes, we will be told, in a way, I'm sorry, but it's too late. Will we have to experience the thoughts, the pain of loved ones and people that we know, knowing that when the time comes, they might probably hear the words, I'm sorry, but it's too late. And when the judgment of Christ comes, when he comes to judge the quick and the dead, at that moment, will we hear, I'm sorry, but it's too late. But even before that moment, is it a reality that we could hear, I'm sorry, but it's too late, even before the time comes? See, this is the vivid, vivid characteristic of the word of God, that when judgment is pronounced, it is there, it is real, it will come, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the surety of the will of our living God. Today, we have to be sure that we are understanding that judgment is coming, judgment is real, and judgment will be terrible. 
It will be so terrible. I love that illustration that John Piper gives about being in the cliff of the the iceberg when a winter storm goes over. It will be so terrible that even those of us who are safe from the wrath of God will still be awe and shaking in fear. That's how terrible it's going to be. What is sad Though, and the more I'm, I'm looking at this, the more I'm studying this, the more I'm researching, the more time I'm spending in this, this subject of judgment as we're dealing with the book of Micah. We're talking about judgments. What is sad is just how many today are assuring everyone that there will be no judgment and that there will be no wrath of God. And so sometimes I'll even ask, Why do you think that there is not going to be a judgment? Why will there be no wrath of God? And the statement I get from pastors of churches in America is, God is love. He would never do anything like that. For real. For real. God is love is, is thrown out a lot. You know, I mean, just it's thrown out a lot when it comes to this very issue. But yes, we all believe that God is love. But God is also just. And make no mistake, when all is said and done, when the judgment is coming, when it comes to evil, family, we want evil to be destroyed. We do. People will, will say that there's no hell. There's no eternal fire. One guy even said that hell, that hell for us is the experience of hardships that we have here on earth. That's, that's hell. That's what it's going to be. And it's not going to get any worse than that, is what some people will say. How can we do this? Why would we do this? Because it's going to be a humongous, a huge wake-up call when the trumps of God sound and the dead in Christ rise and all those who remain will be caught up in the air and transformed and we are standing face-to-face with the living God. See, judgment is coming. Judgment is real. Judgment will be terrible. But hey, some of you may say, well, hey, Shane, I hear what you're saying about judgment, all this kind of stuff, but I need a second opinion. Just in case. (laughs) Dr. Wayne Grudem, the famous Dr. Wayne Grudem, systematic theology professor and scholar, says this, Scripture frequently affirms the fact that there will be a great final judgment of believers and unbelievers. They will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in resurrected bodies and hear his proclamation of their eternal destiny. He says, this final judgment is the culmination of many precursors in which God rewarded righteousness or punished unrighteousness throughout history. 
while he brought blessing and deliverance from danger to those who were faithful to him, including Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and the faithful among the people of Israel, he also from time to time brought judgment on those who persisted in disobedience and unbelief. His judgments included the flood the dispersion of people from the Tower of Babel, the judgments on Sodom and Gomorrah, and continuing judgments throughout history, both on individuals and on nations who persisted in sin. I have to keep going. I, I, I got to keep going with what he's saying here. Moreover, in the unseen spiritual realm, he brought judgment on angels who sinned. You see what he's saying there? Not just humans. God is bringing judgment upon angels who sinned. Peter reminds us that God's judgments have been carried out periodically and with certainty. And he reminds us that a final judgment is yet coming for the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and those who despise authority. Judgment's coming. Judgment is real. And it will be terrible. It will be. And family, when we look at the scriptures, we saw that it was real for Israel and Judah. So let's take a look. Micah chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. Micah chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. Don't tell our enemies in Gath. Don't weep at all. You people in Bethlehem. Roll in the dust to show your despair. You people in Shafir, go as captives into exile, naked and ashamed. The people of Za'anan dare not come outside their walls. The people of Bethesel mourn for their house has no support. The people of Marath anxiously wait for relief, but only bitterness awaits them as the Lord's judgment reaches even to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness your chariot, uh, your chariot horses and flee, you people of Lachish. You were the first city in Judah to follow Israel in her rebellion, and you led Jerusalem into sin. Send farewell gifts to Moresheth Gath, there is no hope of saving it. The town of Aksib has deceived the kings of Israel. O people of Marashah, I will bring a conqueror to capture your town, and the leaders of Israel will go to Hadulam. O people of Judah, shave your heads in sorrow, for the children you loved will be snatched away. Make yourself as bald as a vulture, for your little ones will be exiled to distant lands. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Lord. Accomplish your purpose. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're gonna look at today is the description of the march of judgment over the land and the use of quote-unquote, irony by our living God. And the second thing we're going to see is the beauty of the gospel and its effects on our household. 
Our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to be apathetic or even indifferent to the coming judgment of Christ, it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of Scripture, that will cause us to see the reality of judgment and the wonders of the gospel, salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. So family, point number one, an identity crisis, an unappointed destiny. An identity crisis, an unappointed destiny. And in this lament, this is a lament that we're seeing here, we see the fall of Israel, and we see that this judgment is coming to the doorstep of Judah with the march of Sennacherib, the leader of Assyria, in 701 BC. And what we see here in this passage is we find 12 cities, including Jerusalem, who are in the path of the coming destruction, including desolation, refugees, and even hostages that are taken away. Family, and this is one thing, just a quick side note. What an amazing show of the supernatural power of God that we see here in Micah, he will declare this oracle some 20 years before the events were to take place and with such detail. Detail. This is incredible. The, another example of fulfilled prophecy and the incredible credibility And the credibility and the showing and demonstration of the inspiration of scriptures, the scriptures that we possess that some of you are holding in your hand. That's the power of the scriptures, the power of the word of God. So we got to know this, family. This is so extraordinary, so amazing, this, this concept of fulfilled prophecy. So amazing this is that the materialist, evidentialists or positivists, those in our culture who reject the existence and possibility of the supernatural. These, there are people out there that say that supernatural things are just absolutely 100% impossible. <laughs> they make it emphatic and they make emphatic claims that this must have been written after the fact. You know they say that? It's so clear, so specific, so precise There's no way this could have happened by chance. This had to have been written after the fact. They're just proving to all of us just how absolutely incredible this is. Our God knows. Our God plans. Our God reigns. That's why. How amazing is that? And so, as we go through this passage of scripture, after showing the fact that the transcendent God is coming down from heaven, and he's coming down to the high places with graphic cosmic collision descriptions of mountains melting like water with the incurable wound because the Lord will not relent and he will not come to their aid, there is a clear shift in the oracle that is here to bring a mood of panic throughout the land. So all of those things where he was mentioning the city and what was about to happen to the city, you see this fascinating and this incredible wordplay that's happening here that I think, in my opinion, again, it's my opinion, I think that we are prone to error when we read this 
as a Westerner who, when we look at this, might have seen this this next part of the prophecy, we might have seen this wordplay as almost being kind of funny. I mean, I, I, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. When I first got to this and I started translating, it seemed like it was kind of an ironic thing that God is just using a lot of irony here um, and that God was actually making fun of them. That's what I thought when I was initially translating this. So I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was almost comical. This was like, you know, some comic relief. You know, sometimes as as a pastor, and and I have to control myself when it comes to this, but sometimes, like, if I'm preaching the, go- the, the gospel, yes, but, the, but sin before that, I preach it so hard. You guys notice this, too. When I'm preaching it hard and I'm getting it real, it's so quiet in here, you can almost hear a pin drop. And I can feel, I can feel the tension in the air, and I can feel the nervousness. I can feel all of that stuff. And because I can feel that stuff from you, sometimes as a pastor, I'm prone to just go, I better say something funny, just to lighten this load here. So I thought maybe that might have been what he did. But that's not what God was doing here. And for my, as a pastor, my own conviction came at this time. There is a sobering reality here. Sobering reality. The wordplay that we see here, for us as Westerners, yeah, we might have heard it, we might think it was comical, we might think it was funny. Okay? But for the Israelites at the time when they saw this wordplay come down through the oracle, when they saw this, this would have been a horrible, horrible thing that would have crushed them. And and I think that sometimes for us, because of the cultural differences, we might not really get the full impact of what's being communicated here. There would have been real panic in the hearts of the people as they heard this. Because when it comes, and and many of you may know this, when it comes to giving names, it's so different in the West than it is, you know, in the East, right? And some other, even in some other countries, it's just different. When they give names, those names have meaning. It has a lot of meaning. There's a link between the name and the person's actual identity, so here in the West, I don't, maybe it was different for you guys, but for many of us, you know, when we give names, we give names because of personal preference, because we like the way it sounds. Or we give names based on popularity. You know, it's really funny how they, they did that popularity thing when it comes to names with certain generations of kids. And then there's names that are more popular at different times, you know? Like my, my middle name is Harold. And it was named, I was named after, my middle name was after my grandfather. And did you know that there was a time where the name Harold was really popular? <laughs> I, I just, I keep thinking that. Like one day, there was a time where guys were named Harold, yeah. Um, we do, that's, that's how we do. But when an Israelite would give a name, it was an important identity marker. You know, today in the West, how we're so consumed today with identity, you know, everything is identity, 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 right? And, that, and we put so much and we, we link so much to our identity. It's an identity marker. Well, back the Israelites, when they were giving names, it was significantly linked to their destinies. This is who you are. 
Today, our names don't, don't really mean a lot, so we have to find other things outside of us to give us our identity. This is who I am. But the Israelite, my name was my identity. My name was my destiny. The name was significantly linked to their destinies. When Abram and Sarai received their new names, it also came with a new destiny. Wow. So it's huge. The name signified the destiny or the destiny that was hoped for. So this was a big deal. Names were a big deal. I I know it's still, maybe for some of us today, it's still kind of hard to wrap our heads around this to really understand it. But man, it was clear back then. And so what we see here in this passage, in this oracle, as it comes, the first wordplay that came was concerning Gath. And this would have struck everyone in Israel and Judah right in the heart. They would have known the significance at the very first step of the march, the march of judgment that was coming, that coming through the land and the sweeping march that was going to come. At the very first step, there was a significance, some, something that would have cut to the quick. The minute they heard this, they would have been hurt, they would have been crushed, and panic would have set in. Right after the death of Saul and Jonathan, David would write the infamous lament with these words. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. Don't announce the news in Gath. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice and the pagans will laugh in triumph. This is the tragedy that happened on Mount Gilboa that marked the end of an era. This was huge. This was a big thing. Saul, he, despite what Saul did, Saul was still the king of, Engl- uh, king of England, the king of Israel. And you guys know where my mind is, right? <laughs> I'm still on the king of England thing. He was the king of Israel, despite what we think. And Jonathan, David's brother, this was a very, very sad day, a sad moment. And so this would be the, the signifying of the grief and lament of that time. That's the first wordplay that we see here. The names of the cities would play a major role in their judgment. Your name, your identity, your destiny is now judgment. This is who you are. Wow. Panic sets in. Panic sits in the impact. This is who you are. You, Gath. Gath, understood as tell town. Right? Tell town. That's how we understand more literally the meaning of Gath. The tell town. This is the town that tells. So what does he say? Don't tell at all. Wordplay. Altering their destiny. You, Beth, Lephra. You are known as the dust house. What does he tell them to do? Roll in the dust. Your destiny now is, dust, is rolling in your dust. And rolling in the dust is a picture of mourning. That's your identity now. Your identity is mourning. You, Shafir. Shafir is known as the beauty town. You are the town that's beautiful. You're known for beauty. 
What's your destiny now? It's not, it's not beauty. It's the ugliness of shame, nakedness, and captivity. That's your destiny now. You walked around thinking, oh yeah, you're the beautiful town. Not anymore. Za'anan. You are known as the exit town. Exit town. Clear. What's their new destiny? No exit at all. Bethesel, you are known as the refuge. You're known, Bethesel is known as the helper town. We are the people who live in the town that helps. What's going to happen to you? What's your destiny now? Your destiny is the town that no one will help. You see the wordplay that's happening here? The judgment of God is coming down and there's this wordplay that's happening. Merath. Oh, you people of bitter. This is a little switch here. Oh, you people. Merath. The bitter town. The town of bitterness. You hoped for a better destiny. But you're not going to get one. You will get no change. You will get exactly who you are. And you, Jerusalem, you're supposed to be the city of peace. Now you'll experience war. Lachish, this, one is, this one's a really vivid picture here. Lachish is the harness for horses. This city was known for its military strength, its military might. That's what they did. These were the people that raised the racehorses, the chariots. These were the ones that built the, you know, the, the armies, the chariots, the weapons, the, the horses, mainly the horses for battle. The place known for their resources to wage war in mighty battle. And what is their judgment? What's their destiny now? Harness your war chariots. Harness your racehorses and race not into battle, but flee like cowards. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, you think that you're mighty soldiers? When this judgment comes, your destiny, you're going to be known as those who fled with your military might. Morsheth Gath, the city that sounds like the word for, it, it's, it sounds like the word that's used for betrothed. This is what he's saying by send them gifts. Essentially what he's saying is send these people in Morasheth Gath, the betrothed, send them wedding gifts because that's what they're going to do. They're going to go away to be the bride for the enemy. Wow, judgment. Aksib. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get what you are. Aksib, known as the town of deception. And we've seen, and we've seen during this time when that came, that this town aided, okay, aided, this is somewhat speculation, but it seems that some information will say that we get throughout history that Aksib actually helped the Assyrians. Yeah, you're going to be deceptive to the kings of Israel. You're going to betray. That's your destiny. That's what you're going to be known for. Marashah, you are known as the conquering town. You are the town that conquers. And your new destiny, you will now be conquered. You will become known as the conquered town. And Adullam, you were the place that David went when he was fleeing from Saul 
And so not the glory of the people of power, the people of power will be taken away to hide in your cave. Your nobility, your leaders will hide in the cave of Adullam. And so for the people of the land, they're going to experience something catastrophic. And much more so than that, that's what their identity is going to be. Your name, what's going to happen to you is altered. Your destiny has changed. You will have a severe identity crisis. Because of the cultural context of the people of the time, this lament would be vivid and it would induce panic of the impending doom that was coming. The judgment is real. The judgment is terrible. The judgment is coming. And now the judgment is their new destiny. That's who you are now. When people look at you, that's who you're going to be. When people ask you about who you are, your lineage, where you come from, judgment is your new destiny. It's your new identity. They will identify themselves in judgment. The generations before them were known as the destiny or had a destiny of greatness. Now you will be known as the generation that brought destruction. That's your identity. That's who you are. That is your identity. You'll be proverbial. You'll be simply known as a proverb. Yeah, don't be like them. Don't be like those people. Look at what they did. Look at who they are. Don't be like them. Oh yeah, proverbial. You know, um, Shane is a derivative of Sean. Sean is Irish for John. Do you know that? John means God's gracious gift. So that's why I smile all the time. Because I walk around believing that I'm God's gracious gift to you. God's gracious gift, that's what it means. So what happens? A switch, a change. Where God pronounces judgment upon Shane. God says, Shane, I'm going to judge you. You got a gift coming, but it's not a gracious one. That's scary. You got a gift coming, but it's not a gracious one. You will be known as a man with an altered destiny, with a destiny that's changed. Yeah, right now you're known as Shane, but people are going to start to call you in pain, Shane. Insane in the brain. Shift, change, everything changes. This is your new destiny. You hoped to be destined as a gracious gift from God. Now... You're known as a tragic gift from God. That's essentially what's happening. It's a change. Change in identity. Change in my name. Change my identity. From grace to tragedy. See, and so this would have had a great deal of impact um, and, and the fullness of an impact on the people of the time. If it's really true, it's going to come, it's going to be real, and it's going to be terrible. 
But see, I think that sometimes when we see this, I think that one of the biggest reasons why it's hard for us to see the true gravity of impending judgment that's coming in light of what we see here in Micah is our current disposition in our culture today. I think that affects how we are are understanding this. I think when we see something like this, we're like, wow, this is what God is capable of doing and what God has done in the past. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why are we not afraid? This is why I wonder, why are we not afraid? and not afraid of the consequence of leading anybody to believe that there is no judgment coming. And if there is, it's only judgment here on earth, and it's not going to be anything that, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be good, but it's not going to be, like, super horrible. When we see something like this, why are we not afraid? I mean, just even in general, this is scary. You know, even when I'm, when I'm talking to some of my atheist friends who I'm engaging with, and we're talking about this kind of stuff, we're talking about judgment and all this stuff, and I'm like, is there not even a hint of fear? No, not really. And I'm like, that, 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 that's bizarre. Because even if there's a small possibility that I'm right, wouldn't it just be awful if that's what you're going to go through? Well, I suppose it's probably not going to be good, Shane, but you know, eh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Awful. Horrible. And they're saying, well, I just, you know, and if God is the way you say he is, I couldn't believe that God would do such a thing. He just did. He did in scripture. We see it happen. So this is why I think the study of the minor prophets is really good because it gives graphic, detailed descriptions of what our God is capable of doing. And gone are the days in our minds, gone are those days when we say stuff like, you know, well, I just can't believe God would do such a thing. I can't believe God would do such a horrible thing to a person. I get that all the time. Do we realize that the judgment we will face in our time will be way worse than what Israel and Judah is going to experience here? Israel and Judah, this was a precursor of showing the world. Remember, the judgment of the world is coming, and he's using Judah and Israel here as an example of what he's going to do. Wow. What they experienced was a precursor to what the world is going to get. Why are we not afraid? Why are we not terrified? Why are we not concerned? My study this week, I came across uh, uh, some, uh, some writings here by Dr. Stephen Dempster. He's, he's you know, uh, I believe, a uh, professor in, uh, in England or the UK, I believe. Um, he's, he writes this. To speak of judgment in modern Western culture is to invite ridicule and laughter. Wow, that's what caught me when I read that. That's what caught me. He says, to speak of judgment in modern Western culture is to invite, invite ridicule and laughter. Right? If, if you guys want to see this, go look at the, the last couple of, uh, the last TikTok I, I did last night where I talked about judgment. 
<laughs> the last YouTube short, the last Instagram reel. I, I can't even keep up with all this stuff. The last one that we did, I talked about judgment. Look at all the people that's laughing. All the people that's mocking. To speak of judgment in modern Western culture is to invite ridicule and laughter. He's not making it up. That's exactly what's happening. For such a culture, there is no sense of eschatology, no idea of an ultimate accounting. Watch what he says here. Time is viewed as an eternal now. What is important is the present, not the past, not the future. What's important to Western culture today is now, right now, this moment. People know more about the last 60 seconds than they do the last 60 years. This has been described as presentism or what he refers to as the CNNization of time, the frenetic pursuit of breaking news. That's our culture, that's our time. The frenetic pursuit of breaking news. What's happening right now? What concerns us is right now, the present, not the past, not the future, but the present. So for right now, Shane, you talk about judgment. I don't see judgment looming. It's not right in front of me, so I guess that's just something I'm just going to have to take care of later. That is one of the common mantras of our culture today. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. We'll cross that bridge. When it comes to life, I get it. I see what you're saying. But you know what? I know judgment is coming, but you know what? We'll cross that bridge when we get there. And for many today, when they get to the bridge, they can't cross. So it's not just me, family, <laughs> when, you're, when you're reading this. The church today, more and more are more concerned about the here and the now, and we're willing to part with the beauties and wonders of the future reward of our inheritance of the kingdom of God for the small pleasures and important, quote-unquote, things of the here and now. So this is why I constantly, constantly, again and again, constantly refer to our current state of Christianity as the Esau generation. That's who we are. We're the Esau generation. We are willing to trade away our birthright for a bowl of stew. For satisfaction right now. For something right now. For something to relieve whatever it is that I'm needing relief from. Bring me that relief right now and I will give you my birthright sacrifice our birthright for a bowl of stew. We trade away more and more possibilities for us to reach others with the gospel when we, and, and we spend hours upon hours catching up on all the bingeable TV shows in order to stay current with the present. I gotta stay current. So the world is talking about this one TV show. It's got three seasons out. It's time for me to start catching up. Because i got to stay current. But, but we could be using this time to reach out to the lost, 
to tell people about Christ, to proclaim, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we can do that later. We will cross that bridge when we get there. But this weekend, I got to catch up on my Netflix. We spend money that could be used to reach out to the lost so we can have the latest and greatest stuff in our current time, which will be at a garage sale or taken to the Salvation Army after a couple months. Come on. We got to stay up. Spend and get with the times, Shane. Spend and get with the times. You know, you got you to gotta beef up that wardrobe of yours. I don't know if you're keeping up with the time. You know, the jeans that you're wearing, it needs to be more skinny. <laughs> so many of us have giftings that we're not using for the Lord because we continue to say that this is not the right time not right now, because we're more concerned with the right now than, we will, than it will be at the right time. So when will it be the right time for you to start doing what it is that God has gifted you to do? When will it be the right time? When you're out of time? Shane, I know I got to do things for the Lord. I know I got to do things for the Lord. There's a lot that the Lord has called me to. I know. I know that there's a lot. But there's a lot of prep and a lot of learning and growing that needs to, that needs to happen still. But you got to understand, right now is not a good time. Because right now, I need to do what I got to do for right now. Seriously, I got to take care of my life now. How is the treasure that I'm going to receive when I get to heaven, how is that treasure going to take care of my life right now? How is my inheritance in heaven going to help me to pay the bills that I got to pay next week? Gene, I got to be concerned about the right now. I don't have time. I can't waste time and effort on thinking about the things of the future. I can't be thinking about this. I've got to deal with the present right now. And then when the future comes, when the future comes, this is one of my fears when I was in Bible college. I always remind myself of this when I was in Bible college. You know, I can't remember. Yeah, maybe it was Steve sitting on the driveway at the house at Highlands Ranch. Yeah, we, we had a house in Highlands Ranch and all Bible college students, we'd all live, some of us were living there and we'd have parties there. We'd have pray, prayer meetings there. It was awesome. But I remember me and Steve sitting on the, just laying down on the, the I, I don't know what that thing is. That you, you, I, I, I mean, there's a word for it, but I can't think of it right now. It's where you park your cars. The driveway, thank you. <laughs> laying on the driveway, looking at the stars. And thinking about all the, those that are in ministry, all the guys that we have seen over the years that have been in ministry, and all the guys that said that they should have done this, and if they'd have done this, they would have been in ministry. If I would have just did this, I would have been here. If I'd have just done this, I would have been here. If I would have just buckled down, if I'd have just did that, if I'd have just prepped myself, if I'd have just done this, I'd have been here. And I remember telling, telling Steve, like, I just, I just, that, I just don't want that to happen. 
That just can't happen. Because we would refer to those guys as the woulda, coulda, shouldas. And then I just got to sit there and listen. Oh, you know, because I, I used to be the preacher. There was one time this one lady came up to me and said she thought I was the greatest preacher that ever lived. And if I would have just, did, if this didn't happen to me, I would be, you know, I'd be I'd ministry to the masses right now. Yep, yep, just sitting there listening. The woulda, coulda, shouldas. Because we're so concerned about the present that we're not investing in the future. Wow. People are dying. People are going to hell. People are condemned in judgment. So much could have been done for the kingdom if you would have been concerned and invested in the future. So much could have been done for the kingdom, but instead you chose to sit there and to sacrifice it all for a bowl of stew. I hope it was good. The question today, family, is this. Did you waste your life? Are we currently wasting our lives today? Are we wasting our lives? And the, the, the oxybes, the deceptors, are continuing while we're sitting here not doing anything. The deceptors or deception oxybes, preachers, continue to say that there'll be no judgment because love wins. And here are principles for you to have your best life now. Best life now. Are we continuing to teach and to support and, and to support even by our apathy about not standing up for the truth or by not saying anything? Are we continuing to support this idea? You do realize that when you hear stuff like that, and you know, and I, I, you know, I, I have to say it, I, I, did, I did read the book. I, just, I was curious. I had to find out. But it was like interesting how it was based on scripture. And I was like, you know what? It is actually kind of based on scripture. And people are like, are you serious? I said, yeah, actually it is. Do you know what he's teaching us to do? What modern preachers are teaching us to do? Is to go to your heavenly father and you ask him for your inheritance now. Please tell me you heard that. That is the message that we are hearing today and it's being rammed down everybody's throats. You go to your heavenly father and you ask him for your inheritance now. Does that remind you of something? To remind you of someone? The prodigal maybe? The prodigals maybe? Who went in there and demanded that he get his inheritance right now. We are willing to sacrifice the future to get our inheritance now. For a bowl of stew. Family, all we're doing is contributing to the plight of human history 
as we continue to do this. Because do you know what the younger brother in that story, when he was asking his father for his inheritance now? Number one, what did he do with the money? Squandered it, riotous living, all this kind of stuff, all this stuff. Don't, we can't lie to ourselves and think that we're, we're not going to do that too. You know? I mean, just one individual is telling Shane, you got to understand, I just need money. I just, can, can you pray that God will give me a million dollars? Okay, I'll pray with you for God to, let me ask you a question. What if God actually does give you a million dollars? What are you going to do? Oh, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I give some of it to the church. Oh, oh, good. That's a good start. How much of it? Well, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. What, what do you guys want? Like $1,000? God just gave you a million bucks and you're going to, that's not even 10%, bro. <laughs> what are we even going to do with it? Yeah, that's the problem. That's the issue. Sure, we're going to pay our bills. But how much you want to bet that many of us end up owing more money after we get the million dollars? <laughs> when it's all spent and it's all done. We're contributing to the plight of human history. All we call human history, money, poverty, ambition. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. All we call Human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, and slavery is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. Something other than God to make him happy. Idolatry, rebellion, Snap out of it. Family, we've got to snap out of this. We are living a lie and God one day will come to put an end to it. He is going to stop it. That's a promise. There are people dying every day. Many of them do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. They do not know that there is forgiven forgiveness. They do not know the gospel and there will be major eternal consequences to this. That's the truth. That's the reality. Judgment is real. Judgment is coming. And judgment will be terrible. But Shane, can we be saved from this? Yes. Oh, there's salvation. There's salvation for us today. Freely, family, you have received. So now we need to freely give what we have been given. And what we... what. We have been given is oh so much more than we could have ever have asked or imagined. Today, family, if you are a Christian, you have life and life more abundant. Even when we were so far from deserving it, we have been given so much, yet we don't want to share it. We don't want to devote ourselves to it. We know where there's bread and we continue to be silent. We know where there's bread and we would rather be complacent, preoccupied with our own life here and now. This is the reality of sin. It's the reality of the flesh and our nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. But family, there is salvation for us today because Christ 
died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh man, this is the good news of the gospel. And the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Family, there is no identity crisis for the Christian. Do you hear that? There is no identity crisis for the Christian because we are found in Christ. You, family, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those of you called by his name. Our precious Lord, our precious Jesus. Yes, God is just and justice is coming, but he's also loving and merciful and he's forgiving slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is our God. That is our Lord. That is our Jesus who is coming, yes, to judge. But he also came to save. And there's salvation for us. And because of the blood of Christ, because he has called us, because of of the, the application of salvation that the Holy Spirit is bringing upon our lives, we can truly say that I am my beloved's and he is Mine. My destiny is set. Your destiny is set. My destiny is life and life more abundant in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www dot cbcaurora.com